Hello and welcome to Reagan Communications Podcast, the Communication Spotlight, a podcast with content for both internal and external communicators. I'm Justin Teach, Reagan's Director of Virtual Events and your Communications Spotlight host. Today we're looking at a special session from our Reagan Social Media Conference for PR marketing and communication professionals at Disney World. This session on being prepared and addressing COVID-19 and stopping misinformation spread includes Rebecca Mueller, Vice President of Digital Strategy for Porter Novelli, and Caitlin Angeloff, Social Strategy Director for Providence St. Joseph Health. In this fireside discussion led by Mark Reagan, owner of Reagan Communications, they discuss how to prepare and protect yourself in the social media age. So let's start. So... Um, I'm going to ask both of you to give a brief description of what you're doing right now, and, uh, and then we'll dive into your individual stories, starting with Rebecca. Okay. My name is Rebecca Mueller. I work for Porter Novelli. I'm a VP on the digital strategy team. I currently help my clients just navigate different crisis situations. So currently, I can't really speak to some of the clients right now, but I'm helping them assess uh, what their messages are, how they communicate them either on their own channels or their social channels, and then working within their larger business continuity plan, their larger incident command center, and staying within that holistic structure. Okay. Good morning, I'm Caitlin Angeloff, and I'm the social strategy director for Providence St. Joseph Health. And I made the move from the tech sector to the healthcare sector about a year ago. And my title is Social Strategy Director at uh, the health system. We're the third largest health system in the country. So we have um, over 51 hospitals and 80 clinics in the seven states that we operate in. And my job is to help move our health system from what I would call a classic stage two in our social media maturity to a stage three, which is really a hub and spoke model to make it a social business. that has a lot of operational components. It has, um, of course, the guidance and training and education, um, but really the internal partnership and building relationships and trust with uh, the individuals who are traditional communicators um, and bringing them into uh, what I would call modern communication. I kind of hate that we continue to use the word social. Um, I just feel that it's it's a it's. It's modern communication. It is the way that people are getting information and sharing information these days. So why don't we dive into, obviously, the topic that's on everyone's mind, which is how you both have dealt with this crisis. And your story is unbelievably Mm -hmm. compelling, Caitlin. I'm sure everybody's going to be dying to hear it. Why don't you launch into what we talked about yesterday, and your experience over the past two months Thanks, Mark. I'm, I'm actually really excited to be here today. Um, I was able to convince management that this is a speaking op that I just couldn't give up because I really felt it was important to share with all of you the experience that we're having in our health system. So for those of you who don't know, we had patient number one um, in the United States. So our crisis began actually on January 19th. So um, at our Providence Regional Medical Center up in Everett, Snohomish County, um, a patient walked in and um, he had recently, a 35-year-old man had recently been in China and um, was presenting with symptoms and wasn't sure what was going on, but had heard about 
um, what was happening in China and, um, and walked right into our ED. If you could imagine in a crisis scenario, we train for this, right? In, in our healthcare system, we do not mess around when it comes to a crisis. And I can tell you, moving from the tech sector to the healthcare sector, how reassuring it is to know that we train for this on a regular basis. But we had no idea that we would get the kind of response that we got. The, the media was very aggressive trying to get information from us. We're a regulated industry. We cannot reveal information. It is not up to us to reveal that. That is the patient's uh, rights. Um, there is a lot of government intervention that, um, that supersedes us. So um, we had to deal with not only the fact that the media was being aggressive, uh, the, the public at large wanted to know what was going on, what were we doing to protect them to make sure that the spread didn't continue. So if you were to look at our, our listening topic in Sprinkler, you would actually see two camel humps um, associated with this crisis. So our first spike happened there in, uh, like right around January 20th, because over the, the evening of, of his admittance, it was not... Uh, made known that he was there or what he was uh, dealing with. The CDC did get back to us on the 20th, so we did have a very quick turnaround from the CDC on the testing. So small little camel hump that was about a million mentions, um, and of course we you know, were trending in the United States as having the first patient. Um, that was when uh, we stood up a command center, um, and then you see the, the hump come back down. It was over the course of about 10 days, Thankfully, the patient was released, and um, we were partnering with um, the CDC and the Department of Health, and we uh, issued a joint media statement and the New England Journal of Medicine. For anybody who's actually interested in reading up on that first case, you can go read it. It's publicly available. The, the patient did give uh, his um, agreement to be able to share all of the information so everybody could learn from this. Um, fast forward, and uh, you step into a, a new situation where um, the Life Care Center in Kirkland, Washington, um, we presented with the first death in Washington State. And um, the groundswell started again, but this time that camel hump went from a million mentions to 19 million mentions. Our EOC, uh, Emergency Operations Center, uh, our chief risk officer at that point in time, we went from our normal command center to an expanded command center. So um, we always involve government affairs, internal communications, legal, social, but we needed to expand our footprint, our cadence by which we were regularly updating, moved from one time a day to two times a day. We all started leading into our partnerships. So if you could imagine, there's only so many mentions that were allowed through our, our Sprinkler um, license. And so Sprinkler uh, leaned in with us and helped us with our listening topic and said, don't worry about mentions. That's not the point right now. You just need to have the information. Microsoft stepped in, and in four days, we had a chatbot built. If you look at my Twitter profile, and I'll wave to my friend Jen uh, in the audience who's part of socialmedia.org health, um, I, I tweeted at my friends in, uh, in our group, and I let them know what our standard 
um, tweet was and social post for all of our systems. So we have over 200 plus social media channels. And it was very important that we, we post a consistent message um, and make sure that everybody was saying the same thing and singing from the same hymnal. So I don't want to go on too much more because I want to be able to let people ask questions. But um, this is an ongoing crisis, so I have this attached at my hip at all times. And yesterday when the CDC did officially declare a pandemic, you know, there are waves to this, right? Um, so it's, it's ever continuing. So let me ask you, the, to me, the, the biggest question. You've already been through this. Oh, we're in it. We're not you're, through it. No, you're not through <laughs> it. But, but you're ahead of what they've experienced, probably. So tell us, tell them, having gone through it this far, what were the mistakes you made? What would you do differently? What can they do based on your experience? Well, we have communication objectives. Communication, so, yeah. in other words, how would you structure the team? <laughs> what do you wish you did that you didn't do now in retrospect? Well, I'm not, I'm not heading the team. No, because, I know. But um, I can tell you it's incredibly important to have your communication objectives clearly established. So if you haven't established those, make sure you write those down. Um, obviously, ours are to ensure our caregivers are receiving information that they need in a timely manner so that they can do their jobs. We're reassuring the public that we are prepared to deal with this crisis. We are educating, educating, educating people on the nature of the, of the, of the virus and how to protect themselves and what to do if they are sick. We do not want them running into the emergency department. We want them calling ahead and helping them understand that. Um, and then we are, um, another one of our communication objectives is to uh, partner with all of our, um, our health partners, our government partners, our community partners, and make sure that we're coordinated. And then lastly, where social really comes in is we are battling misinformation, not only externally, but internally as well. So I would say some of the challenges that we are seeing that we would want to deal with differently is understanding um, that uh, a certain level of approvals are required before <clears throat> anything is published. We, we already knew who our spokespeople were. There was never any question, if you have been watching the news, our chief clinical officer, Dr. Amy Compton Phillips, has been on just about every news outlet there is on national and local level. Um, but when you think about how we're going to actually help everyone um, stay lockstep, um, there is a great need for traditional ways of communicating. So to our friends at Microsoft, um, thank you for building Microsoft Teams. It's been a lifesaver for us. So I would say if you don't already have a, a great way to um, manage all of the documentation associated with this, if you could imagine um, the files, the number of files that are associated with this, um, and then the comment threads, it's a forever thread that has been going. Um, and then that's how we are doing a lot of our communication. So having a set of tools that enable you to be able to uh, communicate in real time, no matter where someone is located, that's incredibly important. I think the, the thing that we're learning most right now is um, over-communicate. I think we under-communicated in the beginning. And that's kind of crazy to think that because we were following our normal response management protocol. But like I said, our chief risk officer moved us from one time a day to two times a day because things were changing so rapidly. 
and it's still at two times a day right now. And if, if there's a call where, you know, in the last eight hours something hasn't moved that much, that's okay, right? But in other situations, a lot would change from the morning to the afternoon call. I had one question for you. Yesterday we met with someone from the Institute of Public Relations. They had just gotten done with a survey. Yeah. Which, oh, Hot did off you get the press. It? There She's we, got what it. What a great transition <laughs> over to you. Rebecca, that's uh, all right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, my gosh. Um, so, Hi. Rebecca, um, can you give us a brief background on you and then go in? Let's, let's dive into this because this was really some of the, the, the survey results yes. are absolutely fascinating. So it was Tina who mentioned it yesterday, McCorkle, if you saw her yeah. presentation. Yeah. Um, Can you talk about who they surveyed? They surveyed the C-suite, and they wanted to ask them questions about um, coronavirus and how they felt like it was impacting their business and what they felt like the most important needs were, where they thought they were getting their trusted information from. They also did this, I should say, disclaimer, it was published in partnership with Peppercom. And Tina did say it's going to be distributed at no cost next week, so keep an eye on this. Um, speaking about employees and the number one yeah. most concern, I thought this one was very uh, relevant. Employees were the top priority for communications executives as 81% said they were high or essential priority for the communications function. Companies made efforts to increase sanitation practices, including in some cases thermal temperature scanning, on and on and on. So employee welfare, safety, and then communication, over-communication is incredi incredibly important. I also thought this was interesting, and you talked on social media a little bit. Um, social media um, and online health websites such as WebMD and Country Leaders, we're going to just leave it at that, um, are not the most trusted sources of information for the C-suite. However, we were talking earlier, they are trusted sources of information for the audiences you're speaking to, which is a bit of a... A difference, right? So if we are communicating to one audience and we're communicating with our leadership internally, how do we make sure we craft that, that message um, to tailor to each one? And I have to give props um, if Twitter were in the room. They were the first one to put a standard message at the top of their platform that if anybody was searching on coronavirus or COVID-19, um, it pointed to the CDC gov as the authority for information. And looking to authorities at a point of crisis is incredibly important. Um, not all of you know in the room, I didn't know this until I was in the middle of the crisis, but um, when Governor Inslee for the state of Washington declared uh, an emergency, there was a transfer of power from the CDC to the Washington State Department of Health. And um, so then we had not only one true source of information, we had two true sources of inf information. CDC at a national level, mm -hmm. Washington State Department of Health at a local level. And testing went from being done at the CDC in Atlanta to being conducted in Washington. Um, so just helping people One understand. of the things I learned, if I could interrupt mm -hmm. you for a minute, how many of you have been hurrying one state after another declaring, a Nash, uh, declaring an emergency, right? And you explained to me, I didn't, get, I didn't know this, why that was the case. It's, it's important because the power shifts, it's right? a power shift and mm -hmm. then it's access to funding so that the, that the states and the cities can begin to mobilize to deal with, with the problem and that costs money, right? It's gonna take money to be able to 
help address the problem. Right. What's interesting was I was very, very proud of how our governments were using Facebook Live to be able to broadcast. And then because I'm seen in my network of friends and colleagues as now being in the healthcare sector, I then took that uh, press conference, multiple ones, and then started a watch party. So I wish that in the state of social media where there's so much misinformation, I just wish that more people that, uh, that used social knew how to identify who is the authority and then be able to share the correct information from that authority. And um, I, I don't know if you all heard this, but just yesterday, uh, Facebook opened up their advertising inventory to the CDC at no cost to be able to battle the misinformation that's going on in social media right now. So I think that was a very smart move mm -hmm. um, because this is about helping the public know what to do if they are sick and how to be prepared to stop community spread. Um, it doesn't help when you have someone say that this is like the flu and uh, go back to work. That was what our president Didn't our said. our president say that? I, our president did say that. Okay. And in a time of crisis, I think everyone in the room knows that the most important thing you can do is to have a consistent messaging and positioning. And unfortunately, that caused questions. Questions cause fear. Fear causes panic. So I'm grateful to the scientific community the medical community, now it's just, we know what needs to be done here. It is about social distancing. You will see things get worse before they get better because we have reached a tipping point that we can't come back from. And that is not to scare the room, it is just to educate everyone that this is about containment and mobilizing and communicating such that people are still able to live their lives, but do so in a way that requires less interaction with others so that we can reduce the amount of community spread. It's called flattening the curve. Um, and so if you haven't seen that already, um, help, help educate others about that. A Couple of things to the audience as we go on. If you have any questions for the panel, maybe you are right now in the middle of this in your organization trying to decide a strategy, please raise your hands. Uh, Kirsten will come to you. We have this panel. Um, Rebecca and Caitlin have, are experts in this. I want to make sure that we have questions. Oh, right here, right over here, Kirsten. So please, anything, this is your time. Anyone, any questions? Um, so one of, our yeah. one of our clients is actually an airport. And so I'm yeah. wondering um, how the best practice is. It's actually a city-run airport as well, so it's kind of a dual layer. Um, and I know they're going to be looking to us for communication, and they're also going to have the partnership aspect with being city-run. Uh, what, as far as travel goes, yeah. um, and that communication have you seen happening? So um, just one of our big, which airport are you with? Burlington in Vermont. Yeah, so one of our... One of our proudest achievements in the Reagan Consulting Groups, and you can all go and take a look at this, is a brand journalism site called Blue Pit, blueskypit.com, which was probably the first brand journalism site 
in the country. And by the way, just so we get our terms right, brand journalism is essentially the company becoming a media outlet, okay? For those of you who aren't familiar with the term. When we preach brand journalism at Reagan, we mean that there is almost no distinction between what you're doing and what the media is doing as a company. You are covering your company. So if you're an airport, and I'm sure in my session today when I get my, renew my freshest slides from Jim, my business partner, there'll be blue sky pit. So my advice for brand journalists in the room is cover it like the media. You know, you, you, you have to, you know, are planes empty? What are, what are airline companies doing right now to respond? We're reading about this every day. Are we reading about it from you would be the question. What is the airport doing to provide basic sanitation um, equipment and products for their customers? Every single question you could think of yourself should be covered on your brand journalism site if you have a news site for the airport. Um, but if you want to come to my session, there may be some more specific. Do you have some advice on how you would do this if you were So the what airport? we've done is um, we have a single destination that is, um, again, it's uh, an advisory. It's where our holding statement is. And every time we are publishing, we are pointing back to that page, and that page is consistently being updated. So I think teaching people where to look consistently for information, don't make them hunt. Mm -hmm. Surface it mm -hmm. as best as you can. And then lean into social media. People want to see from the human aspect about this crisis. They don't want to just read, they actually want to see the people and they want to hear from them. And I would say social video, if any of you have ever seen me on the speaking circuit, I'm a strong advocate for using social video. Get, if, you're, if they're not comfortable doing a Facebook Live or to do a LinkedIn Live, not everybody has access yet, do a recording and put it on YouTube and then be able to you know, put that embedded on the website and then be pushing that out in social media, but keep reinforcing where you're driving to with that call to action in social to get information. And, and it's interesting, Rebecca, when we were dealing with um, the survey mm -hmm. results yesterday, where was media in terms of a trusted source? They were not source. a trusted source. They were at the bottom. They were at the bottom. With social media. What's that? They were with, lumped in with social media. They were lumped and in our with social media at the country bottom. Country leaders. And so it would be in, it, it's an interesting question whether we've reached that stage where the institution, the airport, mm -hmm. if it had a brand journalism, ongoing brand journalism program, would that be a more trusted Very source? Much so. You are the authority. You are the authority. That's the power of all of you in this room right now is that if you establish a credible news site, you may actually have more credibility among um, among your readers than perhaps a major mainstream news source. Definitely, especially because yeah. you've already built up, up that relationship with your followers, but then on additionally having that own site on that platform, like you're mentioning, lends itself to search, lends itself to being easy to find, whereas social media is just constantly that waterfall is coming and going, right? But from the flip side, being in an agency, I understand, I get those questions a lot, and my first question back is, What's your business continuity plan? Are you already talking to your risk officer in the company? Because we're not going to create a, a comms plan in a silo 
and also that business continuity plan has already been created. And likely, and if anybody in this room is not familiar with what a business continuity plan is, that is the plan that gets activated when your company goes through a crisis, a, a pandemic, a hurricane, an earthquake, a fire, anything that imp uh, man-made disasters, you know, um, God forbid a bomb or any sort of other scare. This thing gets activated based on triggers. So something happens, like we mentioned, um, the governor, the governor DeSantis in Florida, the minute he declared a state of emergency, those funds come open up, but then we start getting alerts twice a day from the state emergency response team. And that stuff funnels into your business continuity plan, opening up your emergency operations center, and all of that content then can be published on your own channels so, and your social channels back into that brand journal. So in light aspect. of that, if I were going to ask you to finish this sentence, um, now that we're in this crisis, if you're not doing X, you're behind. What would X be? Is it establishing the, the, the crisis center? Is it the approvals process? What, is, what is the list that <laughs> if, comes under X? If you're... If your uh, crisis communications plan isn't already in effect, you're behind. Yeah. <laughs> if you didn't have one to start, you're, you're behind. behind. But hopefully all of you in the room have one. But, but if not, come see us afterwards and we can, we can and hopefully help. Let me ask, how many of you right plan. now feel that you are executing a confident crisis communications plan? Raise your hand if you feel really confident that you're doing the right thing. We're doing the right I thing I only now. see about a dozen folks. How many of you don't have it at all? Any crisis plan at all? How many of you don't know? Okay. It's, it's interesting to see our human nature is to react. And in a time of crisis, you need to respond. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And helping people remember that there was a plan, there was a business continuity plan in the first place, and remembering to have the conversations of, did we put that in writing? We did, let's go look at that, right? Um, and if somebody brings a new uh, question to the table and there isn't an answer, or there isn't a definitive you know, section in the plan that covers it, acknowledge that's a miss. We'll come back to you on that. We need to huddle and figure that out. Um, it's okay to have gaps in the plan. That's how we learn. Failure is the fastest way for all of us to learn. Unfortunately, right now is not a time where we have a luxury of learning too much later. We're going to all be learning throughout this process. And the more that we can communicate and coordinate with one another and feel safe asking questions to each other, it's important. It's, it's how we work together as humans. And, and I, cannot, I cannot tell you enough how important um, my fellow colleagues in the social media profession and the partners um, that we work with, our team would not be where we are today if we weren't raising our hand and saying, help, right? It's okay to ask for that. That's how we work together. Are there any other questions bubbling up out there? We have right over here. 
Hi, uh, my name is Mark. I wanted to know for your task slash communication uh, teams dealing with the, uh, the communication about the virus, who do you necessarily recommend having on that team? It's a pretty big team for us right now. Um, but in general, usually it is your head of internal communications, your head of public relations, your uh, head of legal, um, risk chief risk officer, mm -hmm. um, pre-identified spokespeople for the company who, and you usually have them listed out um, based on their, their expertise and, and what they're experts in. Um, the head of social, and then um, it is always going to be important that you have whoever is in charge of operations, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. How are you going to actually mobilize and put this into um, the working order? Yeah. So, um, do you have a process for that team? Like, how many times do you meet? Uh, tell us a little bit about the process once you have the team put together. The team all meets. Right, but then each of those heads go back and they meet with their teams. Okay. So I cannot speak for every single team because I'm not inside of every single team, but the, as the lead, I will come back and I will communicate with my team. And then it, it was getting to the point where I wasn't sleeping much, so we started working in shifts, kind of yeah. like at the hospital, right? Yeah, that, what I was going to add to that was... address that? Mm -hmm. While you have your designated leaders, what's important is that you take your business continuity plan and you run tabletop exercises at least twice a year. You test and you run through a mock simulation exercise. And the whole team, everyone participates in those because, like you just mentioned, you're now in eight weeks. You're, you're sleeping on site half the time. You're, you're taking you know, a sleeping bag and your sleep mask and you're doing your work for 12 hours and then you're going and finding a corner to sleep in and at some point you're going to burn out. So your whole team needs to be prepared and trained so that you can start to tag people in because if not, you're going you're gonna to start to fall apart internally before so we're all the crisis talking, even ends. So everything we're talking about here is one form of content. Everything's mm -hmm. content. All content. So tell me about the approval process. How quickly can you get tweets or can you get content out there mm -hmm. and how have you streamlined that? Well, if Adrian is watching the, the webcast today, oh, woman, um, she is our director of issues management, and um, she's the one who runs it up the flagpole. There are just three people who will do a review, but she takes it to those three people for a review, and it comes back down. Um, she is the one who's triaging the level of importance for how quickly something needs to come back out. So it's important that you have one person. So you have that gatekeeper mm -hmm. who is making the call, who is deciding this needs an instant review because we need to get this out in five minutes, right? Okay. Or this can wait yep. and this can get out five hours from now okay. because there's only so many things that you can review and in communications, it's incredibly important that you get it right because then having to go back and correct something if you didn't get it out the right way is very challenging. It's hard to take it back. Very hard to take it back. And internal communications, I would actually argue to, to those of you who are in internal communications in the room, how many of you are there? How many of you are in internal comms? Uh, okay. hu hug, hug your person at the table that's in internal communications right now. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> well, don't hug. Do it now. Okay, don't hug them. Sorry. <laughs> do a do a toe tap. Um, and why is that? Because they just they are the unsung hero. They are doing two times the amount of work that we're doing in external communications. The number of people who are coming to internal communications saying, what about this, what about this, what about this, what about this? There are so many aspects of a business continuity plan that, that haven't, you can't possibly begin to document everything. And then there's situations such as theft in the hospital. We didn't expect to have theft, theft in our hospitals. You know, okay, what's our plan for communicating to the chief nursing officer as to how we're going to lock the masks down? You know, where, you know, we're locking them up like you would lock opiates. During, up. during hurricane season, a few years ago, when Hurricane Maria passed through Puerto Rico, the local utility company here, Tampa Electric, their trucks were shipped to Puerto Rico and they were stolen. The, the utility trucks to put the power back were stolen. So it's, it's fascinating how much the internal comms team does to support everything that's going on so we can continue to do our job to communicate to the audiences. Yes, yeah. Kirsten, did you, you look like you, are you shutting us down? Are we probably at time. <laughs> well, one, I mean, thank you so, so much yes, for your insights. You. A round of applause for our panelists. Yeah, thank you. Rebecca and Caitlin, thank you. Thank you for listening to our latest episode of the Communication Spotlight, a podcast for you, the communicator. If you like this session and want to hear more content like it, please visit reagantraining.com for membership. For one low price, you get access to over 600 hours of content featuring the best presentations from our live conferences to virtual events. If you are interested in membership, please visit reagantraining.com virtual and save $300.